0: Well, by season's end, we had competed in about a dozen track meets. By season's end, we had come in second in about a dozen track meets. Uh, Now, in case you are not familiar with 1980s era ninth grade track teams um, in the Tulsa area, uh, I need to fill in some details to make that make a little more sense to you. You see, in the mid-80s, I was a part of the ninth grade Bartlesville Bruin track team. And as a part of that team, one of the roles that I had was I I ran on a two-mile relay team. There were four of us. Each ran two laps apiece for a total of a two-mile relay team. And we competed in 12 meets roughly that spring. We came in second every time to the team from Jinx. Now, you know, if, if you are around these parts, then you've come to know that Jinx beats you in everything. It's just part of the... Anybody hear from Jinx? Anybody graduate from Jinx? There's a few Jinx people back here. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let that go, Sally. But, um, you know, that's not a new phenomenon. Jinx has been beating us for a long time, uh, including on our ninth grade two-mile relay track team. But uh, at the end of the season, there was going to be one more meet, and that was the conference meet. And we were committed to not having an 0 for 13 record against that Jinx, Jinx team. So myself and my three teammates we we made these signs that said Beat Jinx and we taped them all over the the, the bus windows on the, on the way out. And, and we, we, the, the meet was at Owasso at the, at the conference meet, the, the last one of the year. And so on the way there, you know, we, we've got our headphones on, our little Walkmans listening to all of the inspiration that the mid-1980s could provide. You know, I, I had, had some slippery when wet Bon Jovi, something like that, just getting all fired up to go and to, to run this race. And, and we get there, and the very first race of the day was the two-mile relay. Now, if, if you're familiar with track meets, then this will make sense to you. If not, then this is an important point. A relay of, if, of four people, the way that you go from one person to the next is that you carry a baton. So the person who starts the race for your team has the baton in their hand. They run their leg of the race, and then they pass the baton to the next team member on and on until you're finished. And so we started the race, and I, was in, I ran the first leg of that relay and I I ran my two laps and at the end of the second lap it was just neck and neck with the Jinx runner and I handed it off and I handed the baton off at that time to what was really the best runner ended up being the best runner in the state of Oklahoma for our age group. Uh, He lived right across the street from me and he grabbed that baton and he took off. By the time he handed it to the third leg we had a hundred yard lead. Third leg takes off, runs his two laps. By the time he hands it to our anchor leg we have a hundred and fifty-yard lead. A seemingly insurmountable lead. Seemingly insurmountable lead. We hand it off to our anchor leg, who's also a, a, a wonderful athlete, uh, he was on the rowing team at Notre Dame after we graduated. He takes that baton, and he takes off. And he's so fired up. I mean, he'd listened to the best inspiration of the 80s, and he saw the signs, and he takes off, and we're cheering him along, and he's in the lead. He runs his fastest 400 he's ever run. He's running still ahead. Now, the, the Jinx runner who ran their anchor leg was phenomenal. I mean, this guy was like riding a scooter. He was flying. But at the end of the 400, our guy had held his own. But after that 400 that he'd run faster than he'd ever run a 400, it's like a refrigerator jumped on his back and was bearing down on him for the last 400 meters. And he comes around, and here comes the jinx guy. and It was, it was just phenomenal. It, it looked as though our guy was stopped and their guy was flying. And they, they came right around and was coming. At the very end, our runner, Michael, dives for the finish line, and the jinx guy runs right past him, beats him by a, a tenth of a second. A tenth of a second. Now, I tell you that story, obviously, because I'm still very bitter about that. Um, but, But the other reason why I tell you that is that I think that that story really is helpful for me in reminding me of the nature of a relay. The nature of a relay. The nature of a relay is that you're only as good as the next person in line. You're only as good as the next person in line. One person can run, but that baton has to be passed, and the next person then has to run the race. And on and on and on. You know, I was thinking about that story and that principle as I looked into God's Word this last week and looked at the book of 2 Timothy. Because I believe in 2 Timothy, the early parts, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, chapter 2, verse 2. In those three verses, uh, we really see Paul talking about a metaphor of a relay. He's using the metaphor of a relay to tell us something about the Christian life. Something about the Christian faith. Uh, and what I hope to do this morning, what I hope that we will do is we'll look into God's Word. We'll examine this metaphor of a relay when it comes to the, the truth that we embrace as Christians. And hopefully it will encourage us to walk with God and to trust Him more. So this morning we're going to look at a message called Relay from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 and chapter 2, verse 2. So if you've got a Bible, uh, open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to spend our time there today. We're going to see three things from this passage. Uh, First of all, let me read the verses, and then we'll walk back through them together. This is what it says. It says, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. See, in those three verses, I think we'll see three things that help flesh out this metaphor of a relay when it comes to the Christian life. The first thing I think that we need to see is that we receive the baton. We receive the baton. Now, we see this in the very first parts of. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching. What Paul was saying is, You have heard me teach many things, Timothy. You've heard me say many things. You've you've heard them as we have preached together in various churches and synagogues. You've heard them as they've been read from the letters I've written to various churches and letters to you. You've heard them in interpersonal conversations that we've had. There's a a body of truth that you have heard me say, and now, like a baton, it's being handed to you. The things that you have heard from me, Timothy, you're taking now like a baton in a relay. See, this was important for Paul to mention to Timothy because, as we saw last fall when we looked at this book, Paul was expecting his death any day. Paul had been arrested because of his faith in Christ and Indeed, he was going to die at the sword before he was to be released from prison. Paul knew that he was not going to live forever on an earthly sense. His earthly life was quickly coming to an end, and he would no longer be able to be the Bible answer man for Timothy and for others of the day. Uh, The the things that Paul had taught, he wanted Timothy to remember, and he wanted him to remember them, not just so that he could respond to Bible verses and truth like that, but but he, he wanted Timothy to be able to receive it like a baton and a relay that he could carry on into the future. You know, by by what Paul was saying was the, the truth that he was teaching, and that truth certainly would have been the Old Testament truth. That truth certainly would have been uh, what we know as the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ. It would have been the, the things that he taught and expounded on in his letters. But by application for us today, I think that we could say that it's all of God's Word. All of what we know as the Bible and the Old and the New Testament are like a baton of truth that was handed from Paul to Timothy. And what we find is that as that that, that truth goes from Paul to Timothy, that Timothy's going to carry it forward from generation to generation all the way until we will eventually take it from those who came before us as well. You see, when we hold the Bible in our hands, we hold not a new truth, we hold a very old truth. And that can be a little bit confusing. At the front of my Bible, it's an NIV Bible, it talks about how this has a copyright date of 1973. We can think, well, that's kind of new. Anything good can come out of the 70s? You know, I mean, what, what is that? I mean, surely there's something better than that because, you know, we, we're, we're predisposed to thinking that the best things are the new things. I mean, think about it when it comes to technology. How many of you listen to music on 8-track tapes? Don't answer that. How many of you (laughs) listen to music on LP records? How many of you listen to music on cassette tapes? How many of you watch movies on laser discs or Betamax? You see, what what happens in our technological world is that something new and better comes along. We don't listen to eight tracks anymore because we have mp3s and cds we don't listen we don't watch movies on beta because we have dvds and blu-ray discs see we're, we're predisposed in our world to think that that which comes along sooner is better the most recent things are better but when it comes to the the most important issues of life the direction that our life is supposed to be lived the things that we're to know and believe about god those things are not something that is is new those are things that are very old. Those are the things that Paul taught about and that were handed off like a baton to Timothy who handed it on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation until eventually when we got it, the very first time you opened a Bible, you were opening something that wasn't just recently put together. You were opening an ancient truth. You were opening the same body of of beliefs that Paul taught to Timothy and now has been passed along from generation to generation until we receive it now. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that the truth that you hold is is not a fad, it's not something new, it's regardless of how new the binding is on your Bible or whatever, it's actually a very ancient baton that has been passed from generation to generation. You know God's plan for communicating to you And God's plan for communicating to me was to communicate at a point in time in history so that it could be codified and written down into words and be passed from generation to generation until you and I received it and have read it. That's God's plan. There's not a plan B. God's plan was that this body of truth would go from person to person until it gets to us. I think it's important for us to remember because many times we can look at the Bible as just another book. We can look at the Word of God as just something else that's, that's here. And, and you know, I, it's, it's kind of funny, I, I'm, what I'm getting ready to say will make me sufficiently weird in your book, but when I get a new Bible, like when I've, I've got a new Bible, one of the things I do is I smell it. And the reason why I do that is because there's something that just smells nice and and crisp and clean about a, a new Bible like that, right? I told you you'd think I was weird, but but I, I do that. I think, wow, that's that's the smell of a of a nice new Bible. Um, but you know what? When when you think about the nature of the book that we've been given, when we look at the Bible, we ought to see more than just a new book with a leather binding. We ought to smell more than just ink on a page. When we look at this truth, we ought to smell and and smell the the sweat of the apostles as they wrote this. We ought to smell the the ashes that blew onto the page as copies were being burned. We ought to see more than just the black words on the page. We ought to see the blood-dripped spots of the martyrs. When we look at this book, we ought to look and see and smell something far greater than just a book that we bought at the store. That's bound in leather. We had to look and see and smell and discern that this is the baton of truth that has passed from age to age until it finally made its way to you and to me. You know, when you think about, um, if let's just say we, we left this room, we went out front, and suddenly up walks a man and he says, uh, "I have a I have a note for you." So what is the note? Well, this note has passed from George Washington to you. It's gone from person to person to person in an uninterrupted string of passes until finally it's got to you. And you were to be handed this letter that was written by George Washington and you were to get it at this point in time. Would you read it? Well, yeah, I think so. I don't think you'd take it and stuff it in your backpack and say, when I get a chance. George Washington wrote that? Let me take a look. You know, when you think about the fact that this is a core of truth, that God inspired himself and has passed from person to person to person until finally you have received it, our attitude towards this book ought to be different than anything else, any other book that's on our shelf, any other uh, thing that's in our library, because this is God's word to you and to me. It's a baton that we have received. What Luther translated in the Reformation is what you hold today. You know, one of the things that we think sometimes about Scripture is, and it's, it's a criticism that you hear many times, is that this book can't be trusted. It's been corrupted over time. But 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 the fact of history doesn't back that up. The fact of history is that uh, at one point, the earliest copies of the Old Testament that we had uh, were about a thousand years old. Um, so they were about a thousand A.D. roughly. Um, and and. That was the oldest copies of the Old Testament that we had. In the 1900s, there was an amazing find in these caves in Qumran in the Holy Land uh, called the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were just copies of Old Testament books that had been preserved in some clay pots in these caves by the Dead Sea. When those pots were opened and those scrolls were looked at, what was found was that the text that was recorded in the the Hebrew of the Old Testament text was the same text that we had a thousand years later. In other words, God had preserved that text for a thousand years in a day when there wasn't a printing press. It's pretty remarkable. It had been passed like a baton from generation to generation. Same thing can be said about the New Testament. New Testament came about at a different time and was transmitted in a little bit of a different way in that uh, many, many copies were made of New Testament books. Paul would send a letter to a church. That letter would get copied by lots of people. And so literally today we have thousands of fragments of copies of New Testament books. You know what's interesting? When you examine all of those different fragments of copies of New Testament books, what you find is that they all agree on the truth. They all agree upon the truth. When you you add all of that together, what you see is that this baton of truth has been passed from Paul to us. And the first time you opened a Bible, what you were doing was you were receiving the baton of truth that is God's communication to us. What a powerful thought that is. That ought to shape the way that we interact with us. We ought to to read it. Because it has been passed down to us. The first thing that we see is right there at the beginning of 13. What you heard from me we've received the baton. But the second thing I think that we need to see is what Paul says next. And basically Paul says that we're to run the race. That we are to run the race. You know in a relay when the baton is passed somebody doesn't just get it and go, wow nice baton. No, they get it and then they run. And Paul's saying, after you realize that you've received this baton of truth, there's something I want you to do with it. There's something I want you to live out. And so That's what he says in verses 13 and 14. He says, what you heard from me, the baton of truth, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The first thing that Paul says is, I want you to keep... This baton of truth as the pattern of sound teaching. You know, in a, in, a, in a relay race on a track, people are given a lane to run in. Right? You've seen this. You know, tracks are, are lined with these, these lanes. And when you receive the baton, you have to run within your lane. And if you step outside of that lane, uh, you run the risk of being disqualified. And, you know, that, that's, that's something we even saw at the Olympics last summer. I don't remember the race, but uh, there was an American runner who was disqualified. I think it was in the 200. He was disqualified because he stepped outside of his lane. And in, in, in a relay race, stepping outside of your lane keeps you from accomplishing what you want to accomplish. And Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Hey, look, when you receive this baton of truth, I want you to run down the lane that God has prepared for you. I want you to run down this lane, and that that lane is set up for you by the parameters of the sound teaching that you've heard from me. In other words, don't just realize this is the teaching that I taught. Don't just realize that you've received it, but allow it to define the parameters of the lane in which you'll run. He says, keep this as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. In other words, we allow the Bible to define the parameters of our life and then we move forward as we have faith in God, we're trusting in Him, and as we exhibit love towards Him and towards others. In other words, the way that we keep the Bible as the pattern of sound teaching is by running the course of life in the path that it defines. And stepping outside of that path can lead to consequences that can keep us from doing and accomplishing and being what we want to do. You know, I'm always amazed at how we spend our lives many times longing secretly to venture into sin. Now, I I don't know what the issue is for you, um, but I'm sure that everybody here, because we have a flesh, because We have sinful desires within our lives. There is something within you that is tempting you to sin. There is is some area of life where you're being tempted to step outside of the lane that you're running in. The lane that the Bible identifies. And many times we want to step outside of that because we think that what happens outside of that lane is better than what happens inside of that lane. You know, for some it might be in the area of marriage. Marriage. And even though the Bible is clear about defining this lane of marriage as a relationship where a a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church and, and that it's a commitment that goes that what God has joined together, let no man separate, that the two shall become one, even though that is the lane that is identified there, even though the Bible identifies this lane as the best expression of sex in the world is between a husband and a wife, even though that is the lane that is identified right there, many times people can spend time daydreaming about getting outside of that lane. Wow, it must be really great to get a divorce. Life would be better for me if that happened. People spend time thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great to have a sexual experience outside of marriage? That would be that would be really good. It might not be in the area of marriage. It might be in the area of just general lifestyle issues. Wow, it looks like those people that are over there partying with drugs or alcohol or whatever, boy, that looks, like, that looks like real fun. They look like they really have good community with each other. That looks like a good spot to be. You know, sometimes we can begin to fantasize and think that we're missing out on something by running in the lane in which God has created us to run. But the reality is that stepping outside of that lane is never a good idea. God didn't set the, the lane for us because he was just some cosmic killjoy. God set the lane for us because He is the author of life and He knows what is best. So when God says, this is the path that I want you to run, stepping outside of it will have consequences. It's because He wants us to be and do all that He has created us to be and do and to live in fellowship and harmony with Him. And so when it comes to keeping the standard of sound teaching, it's that, God wants us to to read this book, but then use it to define the parameters of our life and then run right down the middle of it. Now, it's important to remember that all of that is done in Christ. You know, all of us at time will will step over that line. Uh, and, And it doesn't take an imagination to think about the ways we might step over the line in the future. We know our past. We know that we have stepped out of bounds at some point previous to today. Maybe even this morning. But the reality is the reality is that in Christ, our sins can be forgiven. But the, also the reality is that in Christ, running that lane is the best way that we can possibly live. We have received this baton. Now we're to run in the lane that has been marked out for us. That's part of what Paul says to him. That's what he says in verse 13. But then he says something else in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. In other words, there's part of this running the race that is running the straight line of the lane that God has marked out for you. But the other part is that you are looking around to make sure that this truth is not being corrupted or polluted by others in your midst. There is a sense where this is like a great deposit of truth that we're to keep from falling into error. We're to evaluate the things that we're hearing, the things that we're teaching, the things that we're processing, and evaluating against the standard of God's Word so that we might keep this pure and undefiled. Now, I was thinking about what that might look like a little bit for us in our world in which we live, and and really the thought uh, came to my mind of a trip to Volgograd, Russia that I was on in 1995. Uh, many of you heard me talk about that experience in the past, but uh, I got to go and Kimberly was with me and we we went and were a part of a team that was helping set up a, a movement on a campus with Campus Crusade for Christ uh, in Volgograd, Russia. Uh, so as a part of the, the setting up of that, we were actually preparing the way for a long-term team that would arrive in the town um, that uh, Uh, that that next fall. And so we had to secure lodging for them. Now, this was right, this was 1995. This was after the Iron Curtain had fallen, and and Russian banks were not considered very reliable. So our team captains decided that the best way to help set up the long-term team was to carry enough cash in to pay for a, a half year's worth of rent, six months worth of rent on an apartment, so that when they got there, it was all paid up, and we didn't have to wire money through a bank. So I was elected as one of the people to carry money into the country. And so I was given $4,000 in $100 bills, $4,100 bills that were in a a lap belt strapped to my body. Uh, And so there we go. Now before we go, this is a very important thing for you to know. We were warned over and over again about the dangers of pickpockets in Russia. And we were told be very, very careful of the, your surroundings, be very careful. That the, many times there are children that participate in this, and but under no circumstances should you carry any valuables with you. Now, forty one hundred dollar bills meets the threshold of criteria of valuable in my book, and so I've got these this four thousand dollars, and I show up at the Russian, uh, the Moscow airport. Uh, now I had to declare on my customs form that I had four thousand dollars cash. And so when I go through the customs line, the the guy doesn't speak any English, but it's very clear that what he's asking me to do is to show him the $4,000 cash that I'm carrying into the country. So there I am. I have to pull this out of my, my lap belt and wave this wad of hundreds at this customs man. And I felt like at that point, every spotlight in the place was on me. You know, there is the dumb American. Go steal from him. If that's, what I, if that's what I felt like. I, my head was on a swivel. I, I was sweating bullets. I, I didn't rest well from that point until that money finally made it into Volgograd. But I, I didn't take it off my body. When, when, I, when I bathed, I had it like sitting right there by the, you know, just ridiculous stuff, right? But I was very concerned about it. I was very mindful of, of what it was and where it was. And I was very mindful of my surroundings until I could turn it back into the landlord. In, in, in Volgograd. Now I, I tell you that story because I think it it really instructs us a little bit on what it means to guard something valuable that we've been given a deposit of. See when we've been given this deposit of God's truth then we ought to be mindful of where it is and what it says. We know what it is. We read it, we understand it, we know what it's about. But then also we keep our head on a swivel a little bit to be mindful of our surroundings. To see the things that are offering competing agendas to the Word of God, so that we might uh, keep the Word of God pure in the truth that we have received, and not let it get corrupted by just our generation's way of thinking. You know, there's a lot of ways in which we do that, ways in which we protect uh, the Word of God, because we receive many different messages. Uh, Some of the messages are things that we hear in sermons. Some of the messages we hear are things that we read in books. Some of the messages we hear are things that we hear from conversations with individuals. Some of the messages we hear are things we see on television or in movies, where we see worldview images and ideas about the way things work come towards us. And I think what Paul tells Timothy and what applies to us is that when we receive all of these various messages that exist in the world, be on guard, be vigilant to compare the messages that we're hearing with the truth that we have been given the good deposit of. Make sure that we're not allowing these ideas from outside of God's Word to contaminate our understanding of what God says. And and the way that we do that, we don't have to do that just by ourselves, we do that with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He says at the end of verse 14, He says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit, who lives in us. In other words, the Holy Spirit exists within our lives. One of the reasons why the Holy Spirit exists within our lives is to help us to maintain integrity to this Word, to help us to maintain integrity in what we believe and profess and how we live. You know, in the book of Acts, chapter 17 and verse 11, uh, there's an example given of people who did this very well. Uh, They were people from the area of Berea, And this is what it says of them in verse 11 of chapter 17 in Acts. "says Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. What they were doing was they were taking the messages that they heard and running it through the grid of God's Word. The things that came through that they heard that matched with what they read here, they believed. Things that they heard that were out of sync with what was here They were skeptical of. That's what we're called to do as well, to guard the good deposit. This is something we take seriously as a church leadership, but it's also something that we must take seriously as individuals as well. Are we evaluating the messages we hear in life through the grid of God's Word? Are we prayerfully considering these things with the help of the Holy Spirit to understand what God's plan is for us and to keep it pure within our lives you see we've received this baton of truth and then as we've received it we run the race down the lane that God has prescribed for us in his word guarding this good deposit as we go but there's another thing that we need to see more than just receiving it and running the race we also are to pass the baton we also are to pass the baton. You know, any relay race uh, would, would really come to a halt if one of the members of the team decided not to pass on the baton to the next person. You've got to have it to keep going. And so one of the jobs of every relay member is to take that baton and to run it to the next person and to hand it off to them. You know, Paul was mindful of that. Uh, he knew that his life was coming to an end, so he passed it on to Timothy. But Paul wanted to remind Timothy that Timothy's life would come to an end one day as well. And he wanted Timothy to pass the truth baton that he had received on to others also. And that's really what Paul says to him in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, In the things that you have heard me say, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, you've received this truth baton, Timothy. Now be looking for those to pass it on to. Be looking for those the things that Timothy were to pass on were the things that he had heard Paul say in the presence of many witnesses you know it's interesting the things that he heard in the presence of many witnesses these were not secret truths these weren't secret these were the same things that Timothy had heard Paul say over and over and over again you know sometimes there's this thought that religions have like secret society stuff and there's secrets that are passed on as a whisper from one generation to the next Uh, until somebody blows it on the internet, like Scientology and Tom Cruise, you know. But there's this idea that maybe religion has some kind of a secret core of truth that is hidden from others and is passed down from word of mouth. In Christianity, we shout it from the mountaintops. It's not secret truth. It's the thing that we have heard said in the presence of many witnesses. Jesus didn't die in a closet. He died on a public hill with historians to attest to the fact. Paul didn't live his ministry in asylum He lived out his life in ministry, going town to town, proclaiming in public places this truth about Christ. The very public truth that had been passed on, Timothy, was to take that truth and to pass it on to others also who would then tell others. How is it that you and I have the truth today? We have the truth in our hands today because Timothy took that seriously. Because the church fathers of the first 300 years took that seriously. Because... The monastics and and the, the, the people that lived through the dark ages took that seriously. Because the reformers took that seriously. Because of all of those things, all of those generations of people taking this charge seriously, you and I have the word of God today. And God's charge to us is to continue to carry it forward and to pass it on to others. Now what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you? You know, if you are a student in high school or college right now, what does it look like to take this body of truth and to pass it on to others? Well, I think one way that it works for you is one of the great things about any educational process is it's, an, it's a uh, required integrator of people. It's a required integrator of people. You, you go to class, there's a random set of people that are plugged in there with you. You live in a dormitory, there are people who are in there with you. Um, You go to the cafeteria, you eat not with your family, you eat with a large number of people. School, high school, middle school, grade school, college, whatever, is an integrator of people. And part of what we do when we pass it on is we come to grips with the fact that God has given an incredible opportunity to students by integrating them with others that they might be able to pass on this truth to. And the way that you might do that is, but is, first of all, by just running between the lines, running the lane that God has marked out for you. As you run that lane that God's marked out for you, people will recognize there's a difference in your life. But also, as you're living in proximity to them, and as competing worldviews come up, whether they be in class or whether they be um, in conversation with friends or from movies or television or whatever, but that you have the opportunity to, to, to speak to what... The Word of God says that is different from the reality that is described by the teacher professor book movie television program whatever It's a great opportunity to do that. what about if you're working in a professional world if you're working in a professional world, what do you how, how do you carry this on uh, within your workplace well there's a lot of opportunities I mean part of what you could do is is you could uh, share messages mp3 files of truth on relevant topics with your friends that they could listen to while they work out. It's a pretty common thing. Or as they commute from one location to the next. You could share articles that you have seen on the internet or, or, or blogs or whatever. that You might be able to share some of that truth and things with others that you work with. Uh, conversations that you have with people as you run down the straight and narrow of your life. Uh, different things like that are opportunities for us to pass this along. How about as a parent? You know, I I think about this charge to pass the baton a lot in the fact that I've got a two-year-old son. What does it look like for me to pass on this baton of truth to him? Well, right now he's two. He doesn't understand transubstantiation and all this kind of stuff. But but he does understand some things. And what can I pass along to him at two? And I think one of the things that, that, that we do is we just pray together. Pray before meals, pray before he goes to bed. Uh, those kinds of things, and it, at the very least, I don't—I don't have any idea what he's grasping is happening at that moment. But I say, okay, let's pray. And he folds his hands. When we get done, he says, "Amen." He has a limited repertoire of words, but "Amen" is one of them. And and he, you know, he, but just—he's beginning to form within himself this idea that there is a God, and it's someone that we talk to, that we can have a relationship with. As he gets older, that will be built and added onto and developed. But as parents, it's an incredible responsibility, a credible opportunity for us to pass on the baton that we have received to them. You know, as a church, we we think about this a lot. Uh, The things that we do as a church from a program standpoint, many of them are designed to help us pass on this baton of truth that we have received onto future generations. Things that we do with children's ministry and youth and college and adult ministry within the church all are designed to help us pass on the body of truth that we have received and encourage us to run the lane that God has mapped out for us. See, when we think about, we think about the Christian life, and we think about the truth that we have received, in many ways it's like a relay race. It's a relay race where we have received a baton of truth We are running a race that's set before us, and now we're handing it on to others so that they might run into the future. That's part of the design of the way that God wants to communicate to us today. Now, I began our time today by talking about how a relay race is only as, you know, a relay team is only as valuable as the next leg in the race. You know, and, and it talked about my friend that was nipped right at the end, and we lost by a tenth of a second. Um, but you know, the, one of the things that is a great promise and a great truth and a great hope is ultimately the one who has carried this core of truth from the time of Christ to today, the one who has carried that truth has been the Holy Spirit of God. God himself has carried it. God cared too much about the preservation of his truth than to let that baton fall. And so God has empowered individuals to help keep that flame going all the way until we have received it today. We've got to take great comfort in that. If we believe that God could author the Scriptures, can we not believe that God could preserve them and maintain them so that when we receive them today, what we have are His words? I believe that's true. In history, as we talked about earlier, actually backs that up. That's a work of the Holy Spirit who has carried it on. The great joy that we have, the great joy that we have is that we simply get to be used by God in that process. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for the opportunity that you gave us to look at your word. Father, I'm thankful that as we open our Bibles, that we are not just looking at some book written in 1973, but we're looking at the ancient truth that came from your breath all the way into our hands. Father, that you want to guide us and instruct us on the lane in which we are to run through the parameters that you identify for us in your word. Father, thank you for that. Thank you that you're not just leaving us dangling in the wind, but that you're providing us direction. Thank you that you are allowing us the opportunity to discern truth as we prayerfully consider things in light of your word and that you equip us with your Holy Spirit towards that end. And Father, thank you for the great privilege of running this race and handing this baton on to others who will pass it on to others as well. We marvel, Father, at the fact that you could get the word of God to Norman so that we could know it. Father thank you that you want to continue to use us in that chain to take it to other places into other hearts we pray these things in Jesus name amen